Welcome to the Closing the Gap Year podcast. Thanks everybody for joining for this debut episode. So I quickly wanted to talk about the name of the podcast, Closing the Gap Year. Got the year in the parentheses. Um, so my intentions are kind of kind of trifold. First being closing the gap between what goes on on the field of play and off field of play, really when it pertaining to a various assortment of sports. Um, and I think that'll become a little bit more apparent in this episode and also in the ensuing episodes. So kind of the general theme of connecting those two, what goes on off the field and on the field. Uh, the other thing is just, uh, so a lot of my friends graduated college recently uh, and they're kind of scattered across the country now. So I figured this would be a cool platform, kind of close the gap between us because it's certainly gotten a lot bigger than it was before where we all kind of, I don't know, lived within the same square mile, which is pretty cool. Uh, and the last thing is I'm just, I had this gap year, right? Where I, I don't have school anymore. And it's, it's kind of weird. And I thought it'd be cool to kind of, I don't know, immerse myself in something like this, try to learn a couple new things and, and share it with some people. So yeah, thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. So today, this debut episode is kind of a, it's honestly kind of a somber preview of what otherwise looks to be a, a thrilling NFL season. And the reason it's somber is because we're talking about what's really been one of the NFL's biggest problems the last, I don't know, decade or so. And that's related to brain injuries involved in football. Uh, specifically today, we're going to talk about CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I think the most important thing, uh, a distinction to make early on is the difference between a concussion and CTE, because I feel like they're always associated with one another. So quickly, we'll talk about a concussion. So and I think this one's probably a little bit more clear to the general public, which is that it's an acute head injury in which your brain kind of jostles around inside your skull and it rams into that, that hard interior of your skull. And what that does is it causes neurons to stretch and actually tear, and that reduces their ability to communicate with, another, with one another. And that's what manifests as a myriad of cognitive symptoms that we probably won't really get into today. Um, and then what I think is really the more theme of today is, is CT, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And that describes the brain degeneration caused by repeated head trauma. So again, concussions are an acute injury. You get your head banged up and all of a sudden you have a concussion. A CTE is from multiple different hits to the head. And it's also important to note that any impairment that takes place, at least cognitively speaking, usually is going to happen. So it's not like you get hit in the head and then, oh, you have CTE and you're going to have like a mood disorder or something like that. It takes place years and years after the fact. That's one really important note. The other, and this might be an even more important distinction, is that CTE cannot be diagnosed while someone's alive. It can only be diagnosed posthumously after someone has passed away when, during an autopsy and taking a closer look at their brain. That's another really, really important point about CT. And again, I bring up both of these that are often so, that are so closely associated with another, and I think today is going to explain why that really may not be the case. So what inspired me to talk about CT, right, this has, been, this has been talking about for a while. The NFL is always talking about it. There's lawsuits all the time involved with players, former players suing the NFL over head injuries. They made that Will Smith movie, Concussion. I heard it wasn't that good, but you know, the point is head injuries related to football gets a lot of buzz. The reason I wanted to talk about it today and maybe take a little bit of a different approach is with the tragic death of Demarius Thomas that took place in 2021. So for those of you who don't know, Demarius Thomas, he's a former wide receiver for the Broncos. I think he also played for the Texans and the Jets two short since there before calling it quits. And he had really just an illustrious career. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. And he was also unfortunately found dead in his home on December 9th, 2021. He was just 33 years old. So I think, I think it'd be silly to not talk about a certain Demarius Thomas football play just because it's, it's one of the coolest plays you'll ever see. So it's, I forget what year it was. I think it was like 2012, something like that. It was when, remember Tim Tebow? Remember that guy? 
He was the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Um, it's in this wild card playoff game. The Broncos are playing the Steelers. It's in Denver. And it's the first play of overtime. It was 23-23. It's, it's just like the stakes could not be any higher, right? And first play out of overtime. And Tim Tebow, the great Tim Tebow, he, so first of all, he just he stares down Demarius the whole play. Like the whole stadium knew he was going to throw it to Demarius Thomas, except for the Steelers' DBs. Apparently they did not realize that because he hits Demarius Thomas over the middle, sheds a tackle, I think he throws a stiff arm, and then he just takes it to the crib. He scores a touchdown. It's like 75 yards after the catch. It was an awesome Awesome play. People call it, you know, Tim Tebow's kind of career defining. Well, I mean, not defining because his career wasn't all that good, but it was his kind of career game. That was a Demarius Thomas game. It was just this incredible feat from a supreme athlete. I think he run, ran like a 4.3840, and it shows on this play. I really recommend YouTubing it. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome play. Really all time great player, but more importantly, Demarius Thomas is all time great guy. He's beloved by the media, beloved by the fans, beloved by teammates. And I think that became really obvious after his tragic passing when there was just this outpouring of support for Demarius Thomas and all the great things he did on and off the field. So actually, one other thing I wanted to mention here is that so after this, that, Tim, that, uh, that playoff game against the Steelers, that's, so again, Tim Tebow just threw the ball to Demarius Thomas like 10 yards, and then he did all the work, right? Then it was this, after this game, it's like an overreaction Monday thing. Skip Bayless, we all know Skip Bayless, right? He, that's what led him to declare that, uh, Tebow is more box office than, than Kobe Bryant and LeBron, right? And the funny part about it is that next week, right, the Broncos moved on. They moved on to the divisional round thanks to Demarius Thomas, I suppose thanks to Tim Tebow as well. He did give him the ball, right? They go out and then Tebow's nine for 26 the next week and they just get torn to shreds. And then he was out of the league the next year. So, you know, not a Tim Tebow hating thing. It's just kind of a bad take from Skip. Uh, anyway, so, we, you know, Thomas, illustrious career on the field, Maybe an even better career off the field, you know, a philanthropic character in the Denver community. Again, just really, really beloved. So according to an article on ESPN.com, Demarius actually noticed his own behavioral changes, which again is a staple symptom of CTE. And this is a quote that he told his mom saying, I don't know what's going on with my body. And also, quote, I don't feel like myself anymore, end quote. So a Boston research, a Boston University research team concluded that he had stage two CTE. His parents decided upon his death given that he was going through some kind of some behavioral changes to donate his brain to a study. And that was how they were able to diagnose that he had CTE. Now, it's really important to note that football was not the only traumatic injury Demarius Thomas had during his life. He was also involved in a car accident, and that has been tied to epileptic seizures he was having towards the end of his life. And it's actually, he had a seizure in his home, and, and that's what led to his death. So it's hard to evaluate, again, a myriad of factors how much of it can be attributed to football versus that car accident, it's difficult to tell. But it's hard, it would be difficult to assume that football played no role. And I think that's why it's worth talking about today. So one reason that this story was really kind of weird is that, oh, he must have had a bunch of concussions, right? Because he had stage two CT. Demarius Thomas had two concussions, one in college, one in the NFL. And that's in a 13-year football career, okay? And I think it's really important to kind of talk about the fact that's not that many. Choose not that many concussions. I have one concussion. That's one more than me, right? Now, mine was a little bit different circumstances. I was playing backyard football, hauled in a pretty tough catch, tripped over a tree root, hit the back of my head on a tree. We don't have to get in the rest of it. I, I, I cried a little bit. It was up there. Um, but anyway, so in this study conducted by Dr. Francis X. Conidi, Conade, not sure how to pronounce that, of the Florida Center for Headache and Sports Neurology and Florida State University College of Medicine, found that among 40 NFL players who played an average of seven years in the NFL, 
they reported an average of 8.1 concussions, diagnosed concussions. So let's get this straight. Darius Thomas played 13 years, two concussions. These guys played seven years, that's half that, had eight concussions, 8.1 concussions. That's four times more than Darius Thomas. So the reality is that, I mean, you know, grand scheme of things, Darius Thomas had a pretty, I don't know if safe is the right weird word for his career, but he, he didn't, have, wasn't, you know, a lot, of, a lot of concussions, right? Yet he still had stage two CTE at the end of his life. And he also was showing telltale, telltale signs of it given his behavioral changes. So the reason I bring that up is I really think it's time to, to recognize that it's just, it's not about concussions anymore when it comes to CTE, when it comes to football related in, uh, brain injuries. Not to say concussions aren't important, but it's not limited to that anymore. And it's really, really important that we recognize that as the consumers of the NFL, and more importantly, the NFL needs to recognize that too. And the reason I bring that up is because the NFL has implemented countless rule changes to reduce acute head injuries like concussions. They've shortened the preseason, they banned underperforming helmets, they changed the kickoff rules, and the, I think this is the biggest one, is they penalize players for pretty much any play in which they use they lead with the crown of their helmet, right? That's any time that happens, personal foul happens twice in the game, you're out. It's really hard to get kicked out of a football game. This is not the NBA where if you look at someone the wrong way, you get a double tack and you're out. This is the NFL. You have to do some pretty bad stuff to get thrown out. And this is one of the ways to do it, which is risking hurting yourself or an opposing player, particularly related to, to head injuries. And the crazy part is it's working, right? There were 187 diagnosed concussions last year during the 2021 NFL season. Here's the number of concussions year by year since 2012. 261, 229, 206, 275, 243, 281, 214, and 224. Again, last year was 187. Now, if you, you might notice I missed one, and that's because I didn't use data from 20, 2020 because that's the COVID year. No preseason, so there's inevitably fewer concussions. It's not a representative uh, statistic. But again, 187, there was a high in there of 281, right? That's a huge, huge drop, and that's awesome. That's really great that the NFL rule changes seem to be working. That's really important. They've made drastic strides in making the game safer, and while that's productive, it might be kind of like might be kind of like taking a gallon of water out of the ocean for what the larger problem is. And that's that having some of the best athletes in the world, some of the strongest and fastest human beings on this planet collide with each other for 60 minutes in a football game and all we can practice is probably not good for your brain, no matter what you do related to the rules. It's inevitably just a violent, dangerous game. And that's just, that's just the reality of it. And I think it's time that we start to accept that, you know, some form of head injuries could, it could be out of our control. And the funny thing is there's so many people now that com they're complaining football is becoming too soft, right? Pretty much them saying they miss the entertainment factor of seeing defenseless players getting absolutely annihilated, right? And there's this famous study, it's led by that same Boston University team that diagnosed Darius Thomas. It's led by Dr. Anne McKee at Boston University School of Medicine. And in 2017, a staff writer for uh, science, the Scientific Journal of Science, Meredith Wadman had this really cool article kind of unpacking the, the staggering results from the study, from the study, sorry. So McKee and their, and their team studied a diverse array of brains. We're talking NFL players, college football players, high school football players, Canadian semi-professional football players. They even studied the brains of two people who solely played football prior to high school. They were also tested for CT. I don't know if they were like just like sick middle school football players. I don't really know what made them eligible. I don't know if they were like really intense backyard football players. I, again, I didn't get too deep into the details here, but again, it's, it adds to the data. That's cool. So. The important thing I want to talk about here is the fact that, so to start, they found no CTE among the two men who played only football before high school. So the, our middle schoolers did not have any, any CTE issues, which is good. So for the high school football players, out of 14 brains, three diagnosed with CTE, that's over 21%. 
that proportion jumps to 48 out of 53 or over 90% for the college football players that were tested. And then once you start looking at the NFL brains, you, you pretty much reach an absolute. So they tested 111 brains, 110 exhibited signs of CTE. There's nothing soft about that, right? And then when you look at that trend, right, you start with the guys who only played before uh, high school, then you get to high school, college, NFL, the proportions grow at kind of an exponential rate. The trend is clear, right? More football, more snaps, more hits, neurodegeneration. That's pretty much what, what, the, uh, what the correlation is at least, right? So, and again, the sample sizes are small. And I also wanna clarify these statistics, right? Does that mean that over 99% of NFL players have CT? No. These are, most of these brains are for people who had died prematurely. And so it's not necessarily a representative sample. Nevertheless, they're pretty terrifying stats. And I, I bet you that number is higher than, than what, we might have, what we might have thought of before you know, really digging into the CTE numbers, the CTE data out there. So the other thing I wanted to bring up is the fact that you know, all these hits that people are taking between high school, college, NFL, professional football, right? Now people are playing earlier than ever. Have you, I mean, have you guys seen, there's like six-year-olds that are just throwing darts in these football camps now? I mean, you get kids who are 12 years old. First of all, they have traps, which is nuts, right? These guys are built, okay? And they're, all, they're hitting and taking legitimate hits at a really, really young age. And then, you know, you have Tom Brady playing until he's 95 years old. You got Russell Wilson spending a million dollars so he can play deep into his 30s. It, it's now more than ever, people are starting to play football earlier and they're continuing to play football longer than ever. All that means is more hits and unfortunately a greater risk for, for neuro, neurodegeneration as a result of, of, of brain injuries, right? And I, the reason I thought this was such an interesting thing to read about, you know, a guy like Demarius Thomas, who again, two diagnosed concussions and ends up having CTE, is that as a football player, you, you can't tell yourself, oh, you know, I didn't have too many concussions during my career, I'll be fine. Right, I, I played the game the right way, the safe way. I didn't leave with the crown on my helmet. I never had a really traumatic injury. With enough hits and the physical beating, I mean, imagine the experience of these players. You know, they, they retire. When am I going to start showing signs of dementia? When am I going to start showing symptoms of mood disorders? Right? I mean, that's just a fear you have to kind of carry around if you play, you know, a long time in football. And I think that's really important that we not only can acknowledge kind of that that emotional experience. I think the NFLs undergo once they retire from football but also the fact that the NFL owes it to players to kind of put a little bit more financial weight and make it a, a higher priority to carry out research, not only to make the game safer, but to find ways to combat CTE because it's seemingly it, head injuries and things like CTE are inevitable. You can take concussions out of the game entirely. It doesn't seem to matter. People are still at risk for having these long-term brain injuries as a result of neurodegeneration. And again, I, I want to make clear, this is not like a campaign against the NFL. It's not a campaign against the physicality of football. I think football is awesome, right? And the physicality is a big reason why. And, you know, people are going to talk about how, it, you know, it provides generational wealth to players and to general managers and scouts and coaches and agents. The list goes on and on, right? And then you talk, every former player talks about how the brotherhood of football is, is way more important than the fame or the fortune or even the wins. That's really cool, too. I just think the NFL needs to put more resources into informing perspective and current players just how dangerous the game can be. And we see things like this every day. The NFL is selling multi-multi-million dollar lawsuits with former players over head injuries. And then the long-term impact of those specifically uh, it seems to be dementia is often what leads players to, to sue the NFL. So according to an article on ESPN, the NFL has passed over $1 billion in approved claims for settlements to thousands of former players related to cognitive impairments caused by playing football. 
right? Well, if you look at that number in a vacuum, oh, that's a lot of money. The NFL is paying out a lot of money. The NFL generated $11 billion last year. Not one, 11 billion. That's billion with a B, right? They have the capacity to keep settling these lawsuits as long as they want. It's not going to affect them whatsoever. Amazon is paying the NFL $1 billion every year just for Thursday night football, okay? So for every single concussion settlement, or not concussion settlement, every single brain injury settlement that's been filed by a player, the NFL could pay off the lifetime amount of those with one year of Thursday night football. So it just, it doesn't affect them. They're not going to care because they can handle it. It's not going to really impact their bottom line. The other thing is with these players, let's say they win the settlement. I mean, is that that just going to fix everything? There's no cure for dementia. There's no cure for Alzheimer's. There's certainly no cure for CTE, right? And, you know, these guys, they made money during their careers. Once your playing years are over, you want to you enjoy that wealth. And a lot of players, you know, tragically kind of lack the cognitive capacity to fully do that. No amount of money can change that. And until there's a massive leap in modern medicine, you know, there's not really a financial way to combat neurogeneration, no matter how much money the NFL is willing to pay. So I know this is kind of, this is a bummer topic. There's a lot of really sad points about this, but I just think it's important because we always talk, oh, it's concussions. Let's take concussions out of the game. You can take concussions out of the game as long as you want. Unless you take physicality out of football, people are going to be at risk for having neurogeneration. So I think the key for the NFL is not only just to limit the physicality to the point where people can still enjoy the game, but also making sure players know exactly what they're getting into. You can't tell a player, hey, play the right way. Don't put your head down every single play. You'll be fine because it's just not true. And I think the reason I want to preface that is I'm going to bring up a bunch of different stories right now of former players who have since on their death been diagnosed with CTE. And I think the, the lack of association between concussions and CTE is really, really alarming. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. So we'll start with Chris Henry. Went to college at West Virginia, played four seasons for the Cincinnati Bengals, all of which were marred with legal issues. We don't have to get into it. You know, speeding, marijuana possession, gun possession, substance abuse, a bunch of really not so good things. December 16th, 2009. Verbal altercation with his fiance, Henry allegedly threatened to kill himself, according to a witness as reported by Peter Keating of ESPN, and then he either fell or jumped out of a moving truck that his fiance was driving, and then he died as a result of a fractured skull and blunt head trauma. No alcohol, no drugs, and importantly, not a single diagnosed concussion in college or the NFL. Henry was diagnosed with CTE in an autopsy and was the first player to be diagnosed while still technically an active player. He was just 26 years old. I thought the Demaryius Thomas story was weird, right? He played 13 years, only two concussions. He has CTE. He played Demaryius Thomas, 143 games. Henry played in 55, right? It's almost a third. And he had no concussions. Nonetheless, CTE. It's pretty scary stuff, right? So let's move on to another player, Javon Belcher, right? Found this really great article in Bleacher Report by Jeff Perlman. He, in college, when he went to uh, University of Maine, he was in an organization called Male Athletes Against Violence, Okay. Keep that in mind. Never turns down an autograph from the fans. He's this awesome come-up story for a guy. He wasn't drafted. Uh, Apparently, he was a big supporter of Girl Scout cookies. I mean, loved by teammates, loved by fans, right? Apparently, plays through a bunch of undiagnosed concussions, but again, undiagnosed concussions. And then on December 1st, 2012, Belcher murders his girlfriend, shooting her nine times. He then drives to the Chiefs stadium, has this just unimaginable standoff with a bunch of members of the Chiefs staff. I think Romeo Cornell was the head coach at the time. I think the Chiefs GM was there too, and they're all you know, begging him to, to, to relax, so like we can talk about this, all these things. He confesses to the murder. He explains that he needs help, that it's too late, and he asks them to take care of his daughter before shooting himself. Again, another tragic death for a player who seemingly, in, in, you know, before getting deep into his NFL career, is this just model citizen, right? 
And then at the end of his life, he's just this brutally violent person who kills himself. It seems like football is playing a role here, right? So the next player I want to talk about is Aaron Hernandez. And I think that story is really, really complicated. Can't get too deep into it today because it's going to kind of veer away from what we're talking about being CTE. There's countless stories regarding the abuse he suffered as a child. He had a lot of legal troubles. You know, he, he was convicted for murdering Odin Lloyd. So what we want to talk about is the fact that Hernandez committed suicide in his prison cell on April 19th, 2017. And he was later diagnosed as the most severe case of CTE ever documented for a person of his age at stage three out of four potential stages. Moving on to our next next tragic death is, is Vincent Jackson, supremely talented wideout, three-time Pro Bowl, went over 1,000 yards like six times, staunch supporter of the military. On an ESPN article by Jenna Lane, she describes how, how Jackson, Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for four seasons, which, again, most guys don't get nominated once. Four-time nominee, again, another kind of model citizen, right? Um, he retired from football in 2016, and he, he did so dedicating his life to helping military families through his Jackson and Action 83 Foundation. He authored children's books designed to help people and their families cope with challenges unique to the military. Again, just another really, really great person, had no legal troubles during his NFL career, another model citizen in the NFL, really great player, beloved by fans, beloved by teammates, beloved by coaches, right? Jackson's found dead in, his, in a, a Florida hotel room on February 15, 2021. Blood alcohol content of 0.28%. That's important to acknowledge that it's not, you know, alcohol was involved in this, right? So for Vincent Jackson, zero diagnosed concussions, stage two CTE. In a New York Times article, Jackson's widow, Lindsay Jackson, explains that Vincent became paranoid, depressed, had a diminished attention span, difficulty solving problems. All these started to take place towards the end of his NFL career. She also explained that Vincent's relief was alcohol. And that late in his career, he told Lindsay that his brain felt fuzzy and at the times, uh, alcohol cleared that up. This alcohol issue is actually what drove Vincent to move into that Florida hotel to kind of protect his family from his unregulated drinking habits. And again, he's tragically found dead in that hotel room with a blood alcohol content of 0.28%. Again, zero concussions diagnosed in his career, stage two CTE. All right, last one for today, we're going to talk about Philip Adams, former NFL six-year vet. Again, another guy described by family members as just being a kind of a quiet, nice guy, reserved, keep, kept to himself, he was also described by family members to have exhibited rapidly declining mental health following his football career, which included just two concussions. He had memory problems, issues sleeping, and according to his sister, escalating temper and personal hygiene neglect, as she reported to the USA Today. So he had no criminal record, no history of substance abuse, and then Adams documented to have killed six people on April 7, 2021, including a doctor, his wife, and two of their grandchildren. He then shot himself during a standoff with the police the next day. Adams was then, of course, diagnosed with stage 2 CTE. And it was also important to know that this it was somewhat of a unique case. So the diagnosis of CTE is based on clusters of a protein called tau in certain regions of the brain. And it's not very common to find these clusters in the frontal lobe of the brain. And this was the case for Philip Adams. And it's important to note, damage to the frontal lobes is often associated with personality changes and disinhibition, among other symptoms. So Philip Adams, a notably severe case of CTE, similarly to Aaron Hernandez. So, you know, these are a lot of really, really sad stories. And it's tough because, you know, NFL season's coming up. We're just going to keep watching on Sundays. We're going to keep setting our fantasy football lineups. And that's fine. I guess, you know, life goes on, right? But I just think it's important to acknowledge the fact that the players are what make football. Players are what make Sundays so fun, right? They're the ones taking the physical beating out here. And it's important to, to just appreciate the fact that the league owes it to them to make CTE research and rule changes focused on safety the single top priority in the league. They need to protect the players, right? And they need to put their financial weight behind it. 
They also owe it to players to be just ultra transparent about the risks of football, explaining to them just that you can't avoid concussions and expect to not deal with potential cognitive decline following your football career. Players need to be made aware of that because I don't think a lot of them realize just how dangerous the game can be. Another thing I want to emphasize is just that it's not like things are hopeless. It's not like football is just this terrible, terribly dangerous game and it's forever going to cause people to become an unrecognizable version of themselves, right? So it's important, for example, um, there's been a couple of things come out. Like last year, a U.S. biotech firm called Neuralace discovered the therapeutic potential of a compound called NNI-362 that can actually initiate neuron regeneration, according to Dr. Judith Keller-Anderson, right? So CTE is a lot of the implications of that involve neurodegeneration, right? So the fact that scientists are already seeing positive signs of actually reversing neurodegeneration gives a lot of hope for helping us using modern medicine to actually combat CTE. The other thing I want to talk about is just the potential for the NFL to really just progress, right? So there was a time in the NFL, I think it was in the 60s, the guys wore leather helmets, right? That's not going to, that's just not going to help. I, I cannot imagine what happened in the 60s when guys got hit, right? They were, I mean, they were wearing, have you ever seen the movie Leatherheads? I, I think that's what that football movie is called. I don't know. I don't, you might as well just not wear a helmet at that point. Other thing is they used to have, you know, the goalpost thing, you kick the, kick the field goals through, that used to be on the goal line the thing that people have to pass to score a touchdown. So people ran into it all the time, right? My point in bringing these two kind of hilariously silly things about the NFL is the fact that they fix things, they improve, they get better. The NFL improves things every single year about the league, and that's great. We just need to make sure that people in positions of power in the league know that CTE research, helping modern medicine combat CTE and putting their financial weight behind it should be at the top of the list. All right, I know that was kind of a, kind of a bummer episode, and I know it's not you know, not a super fun outlook on the NFL season. And I think it's important, you know, we still have a lot to look forward to. I just wanted to talk about it. I think it's a big issue. I definitely learned a lot about that. It was great to see how concussions are really rapidly declining in the league. And I think there's a lot of hope moving forward. I just hope we can appreciate that players are really putting their bodies and their minds on the line. So thank you guys so much for listening. Appreciate it. Again, for debut episode, I had a lot of fun uh, researching about this, learning a lot. Hope you guys learned something too. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see you guys next time.